All right, let me set the scene for you, Half Wheelers. We're on a train uh, heading north towards Helensburg, uh, which was the depart scene for both the men's and women's world championships over the weekend. We are, Scotty, the day after. Day after. The day after, a, a day we'll never forget. Yeah. Um, and there's no premiership hangover for us. No. We are still ready to go. We're on a high. We're feeling strong in the third week of a grand tour. Yeah. They've just done a one day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We gave we gave the listeners a, a, a little bit of an insight via Instagram with a couple of award-winning videos that were posted. Um, and, and certainly the feedback for that was that, you know, we've got a future in this business, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but we probably should just wind it back to Saturday. Yes. Because Saturday was where it began for us. Um, out for a ride, which incidentally didn't start too well for myself because I got the first and only puncher to this date <laughs> as we were entering this little sector called the Arenberg Forest, which is a little bike path as you leave Kiama. But um, we headed in towards Wollongong. We were going to check out, um, just get the vibe of the place, yeah. um, sort of have a, have a bit of a ride around the course. And the timing of it was pretty good for us, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, because the window of time for the junior women's was finishing at 9.50 and we rolled onto the course at 9.50. And it turned out we weren't meant to be there, but as we were riding around all the, what do you call those, the marshals, no one stopped it. It was sort of like um, they were looking at us, we were looking at them and they did nothing. So we thought, well... Let's just try our luck a little bit and see how we go. And we just got through the whole, the whole course. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the, our, as our body language changed to become more and more assertive as we went through all those checkpoints yeah. to the point where, hey, we're meant to be here. Stop looking at us. Yeah, we were taking corners as if we were pros. Like there was a real sort of heroic vibe that we were sending to the marshals and I think they sort of picked it up and almost jumped on our backs a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to to give you an idea of the course, um, hot mix the whole way, smooth, smooth as a baby's bum. It was lots of fast corners. Yep, yep. Um, and it was it was really nice to ride on, yeah. right up until the point where we got to the climb before Mount Pleasant. So in Stra- the Strava segment is called what's it called? Stairway to Heaven. The Stairway to Heaven. That's the two climbs with a little bit of sort of yeah. They're little, it is big hills with some sort of downhills. It's in suburbia, so... As a side note, Wout Van Aert is now the KOM holder after a 2 minute 19 um, segment, his ride yesterday in the Worlds. We did it at about five and a half minutes slower. Yeah, but it was a day before, so we were taking it. Yeah, we were, on a, we were on a taper. Yeah. yeah. But the climb, um, again, of course, a climb on telly never looks as steep as it is. Uh, is it horrifically steep? No. But is it bloody steep? Yes. But it's interesting because it's got three, as we discussed, Ross, you, you discussed, it's got sort of three pinches in it yep. with some little sort of 6% false flats, if you like, yeah. which allow you to recover, but then you know it's going to ramp again. They just sort of tickle you in the nethers, the, the six percenters, and, and then it, it sets it up for the brutality that's about to begin yeah, yeah. very soon after. Yeah, and... Um, Certainly, we saw the effect of that brutality on the on the men's because we didn't watch the women in person, but they were the men's. But yeah, 
Very grippy climb. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we sort of did a lap of that. You'd call it a hot lap without, without a doubt. It was a, it was a very hot lap. Um, great experience. You know, you, you, we were the only ones on the course at this point. This is why we want to allude to the fact that we felt like we were doing something wrong because we were the only ones yeah, no riding one the course. No one else was doing it. We were getting clapped by the locals and they, was, they were applauding us for our efforts and we thought, well, fair enough. And even though we weren't in the world championships, we knew that they thought we were. Yeah, 100%. So that was, that was great. And then uh, rode back to our accommodation and we did watch the women's on the TV, didn't we? Yes. And what a bloody watch it was. Bloody. Um, with those climbs, they're, they're ripping it up, you know, some big attacks by Liana Lippert and... Um, Who's the other one who loves to go? Uh, Niwa Doma. Niwa Doma was one. And if you remember, listeners, we mentioned her, or, or Scotty and I maybe probably put her in the, the real yeah. chances for the title. Yeah. And she was one of the ones who really pushed the pace, particularly in the latter half of that climb, just to, to hurt the opposition. So she was right in the mix and looking good, along with um, uh, Passio from yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, she was she was also looking the goods, but <laughs> the climate. But, uh, as so often is the story, Anamik does those amazing things where you you just think, my God, she's incredible. Pissing rain at this point. Yeah, coming into the finish, and it was just a you couldn't have timed it any better. It was it was racecraft one hundred and one, wasn't it? It really was, and. And she was, because everyone's seen it on the telly, but she was in the second group, which caught up to the third, the third, the, the lead group. In the last two Ks, they caught up. Um, and then she was at the back because she knew she couldn't do much and she was just waiting. And she jumped and they didn't get her, couldn't get her. She jumped, what, about five, 600 metres out, something like that, maybe 500 metres? Yeah. Yep, so there's a little downhill. What a... A decent sort of a 6% downhill uh, ramp that it's probably with about 800 to go, yeah. I reckon. And that might have propelled her just to give her a little bit of either a reprieve or a bit of a hit um, as she got to the bottom of that. Um, and bearing in mind, she had a freaking broken elbow in yeah. the race. And it was great hearing her interviewed after the race where she said, yeah, it was really hard today. <laughs> like for her to say that, it was really hard today be- because we know when she climbs, she loves to get out of the saddle and grind a bit because she's a bit of a muscler on the bike. And uh, she couldn't do that because she had a broken elbow. Yeah, so um, it really put it into perspective, the fact that she was still able to lengthen the uh, the riders behind her despite being in the saddle the whole time. So, yeah. And um, then uh, when she whizzed past the group, who, who looked like they were sort of, all right, we're a K or so out, or we're about 600 metres out, we're just sort of sitting up waiting till we all go. She went past about three minutes wide of the group and Kapeki was right there and Kapeki looked. But she obviously was tired because she'd pulled the group across initially about a, about five or 600 metres before. So she was obviously tired and she all she needed to do was just make a little squirt and sit on and she would have had a magic carpet ride. But she didn't and that's, that is racing. Couldn't get out and... Um, that was it. The, the rainbow bands uh, <laughs> disappeared before her and others' very eyes. So massive chapeau to 
Van Vluten. It was extraordinary. Great to watch. Great to watch. And it's got to be said, in our lounge room of our accommodation, we were going nuts. Absolutely nuts. So it was, we, we created our own atmosphere. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, we had the, the um, dual spectator challenge, Ross, of watching two high-performance events at the same time. We had the Australian Rules Football Grand Final, which is, a, for those who don't know, in different countries, that's a big event here. There's 100,000 people go to that game. It's a big event. But that was a blowout after about a quarter and a half to, at half time. So we made the um, group decision once it got to 10 goals. That's when we swapped the screens because we had one big screen, one small screen. And we swapped the screens and we're glad we did. Thank God we did. It was perfect timing. Um, yeah, the, the broadcaster for the AFL Grand Final are complaining about a lack of viewers. Um, maybe they should be uh, questioning the UCIs. Don't stop putting on great races at the same time because <laughs> it impacted it. It was, yeah, it was yeah, a great, great event. Great event. So then the next day, Sunday, the men's race, yesterday for us, uh, we rode in, um, it's about an hour from where we were staying, lovely smooth roads, rode in, traffic non-existent, magical, just a lovely time to ride in. And then we picked, we had a bit of a snack there and then we picked our way up to the climb because we wanted to be on the Mount Pleasant climb. And we were probably, what, about 50 metres from the very top on the last pinch, pinch, and um, got there and obviously it was packed. Doesn't It doesn't look as crowded on the TV, but it was quite crowded. Like, it was plenty of people there, great atmosphere. And uh, we 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 sort of happened to situate ourselves near a, like a camper van set up that these this family had made. If you could have pictured or hoped, written up a bit of a wish list for what your viewing position might be on a hill for the World Championships, we just about ticked every box. Yeah, we had a bit of cover. No sun sun cover. Cause it sun was cover. It was, it, was, it was a bit burny and hot. Yeah, we had a TV supplied by people we'd never met before in our whole lives. And we were completely comfortable to sort of step into their land room and watch it. We had to walk a, maybe three metres across to the fence line, which, you know, it was a pretty tough jostle to get that front fence spot. So we had some guys who were pretty committed to it and weren't going to give it up very easily. So that was we were thankful for that because, that, you know, we had riders a, a f- three foot away from us, yeah. didn't we, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Sagan was, was going up the hill three foot away. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. But we also got to see how much they were hurting late in the day. Um, interesting comparison when you think early in the day, I think they had about six or seven ascents to go. So I'm probably the, the seventh last ascent. Yes. Ben O'Connor and Luke Platt were in the break at that point. And... You've seen two guys, two Aussie guys, because they're easily recognisable, climbing effortlessly, doing it, doing it pretty comfortably from the outside. That's what it looked like. Yes. In the space of three more laps, they were hurting big time, weren't they? And you made a comment, Scotty, which you could probably uh, give a bit more detail about, that you re- it was really noticeable that the guys up the front who were doing a lot of work, they were wet. They were wet with sweat. Yeah, and I think the temperature might have been 21 degrees or something like that. It didn't seem like there was much wind. At times, there was a little light breeze. Maybe there was more breeze down towards the coast a little bit more. But it just felt like one of those days which was sort of hot. And um, even though these guys had come out of a European summer and it's been a hot summer over there, mate, some of them them were sweating early and their whole 
kit looked like soaked very early, which means you know you're you're starting to work and you've still got a, you've still got two 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 and a half hours to go, and about four more times up that bloody hill. Yep, it's probably worth talking about um, the observations of watching the guns climb. So you know the the, the big one, Remco looked incredible on the climb. Like he was. He was comfortable all day, had power, and clearly was the best, you know, the best legs of the day. But he looked great on the climb, didn't he? Um, and Wout, Wout was, Wout was good. Wout looked good. He was fine. Um, the, the star that he is, he was fantastic. Yeah. Was there anyone else who stuck out to you from a climbing perspective? Yeah, well, um... Yeah, I'm trying to think of that. For me, it was hard as I was coming past. I was sort of overwhelmed with ev- the whole... Trying to watch everyone. Yeah, trying to watch everyone. And it's like, oh, did you see Alaphilippe? No, I didn't. I just saw all this colour and movement and shape. And I'm looking at the bodies and... Yeah, so... But, yeah, wow, it was very comfortable all the way through. And and, uh, um, and just to see him in the last few laps when he was powering up. But what I noticed about wow was the face, just that that focus on being super relaxed as he's going up the climb to be really efficient. And um, the other thing is, too, in that early break, the early break when they went up the climb, there were some big boys there. There were some 80, 84-kilo boys there. And then the other thing is there was also some really small, you know, climby-type builds as well. Yeah, Quintana, we spotted him. actually looked okay early, and then he was sort of starting to, to... probably struggle a little bit towards the mid part with even four or five laps to go which was interesting because obviously not a long enough climb for him yeah um and the pace was pretty hot up yeah. there um so yeah, it's just interesting to notice the different dynamics of a climb how they impact known climbers the, yeah. the small guys now it's really about physiologically it's about that sort of three three to five minute power isn't it three minute power like that's where it's at not 30-minute power or 40-minute power, if that's your weapon. Yeah. yeah. Because those guys, they're just not used to those surges. Like, Hindley was great until about four climbs, yeah. and then, then he was gone, you know? Yeah. So it's not, not their strength. But it is the strength of Wout and those sort of guys and, you know, Evanapol, of course. Yeah, yeah even um, Dylan Van Barla was one who climbed pretty pretty well. Like, he, he did some really good efforts for, for the Dutchies. Um, Perry Roubaix winner one day um, and then you look at some of the place getters you know for them to be up and over it to be in the mix Matthews uh, Christophe Laporte one day experts yeah. and, and stage races guys. but yeah some, some guys who can get up and over Christophe Alexander Christophe Alexander Christophe beefcake extraordinaire human iron man mid 80 kilos finishes sixth if you don't mind Six going up that thing twelve times. I admit, and I, we mentioned this last night on, in our review. Didn't notice him on the climb, which is probably a significant thing for him. Like he was just in the bunch and doing the work, as was Peter Sagan. Which you know he's been out of form and he's had COVID three times. So who knows what that's done? Is it his motivation? Is he as he you know has he put the cue in the rack? We don't really know. But he finishes seventh. Seventh is a bloody good effort yeah, I for think him. So. Yeah, and, I think and so. like, probably more than he expected. Like, he would have been hoping for a top ten, but shit, there's some good riders in the, in the field. And for him to get seventh is, yeah. is a really good effort. Yeah.
Yeah, and so... Um, Great effort by Michael Matthews, who continues to prove his ability to produce on big one-day races. Um, interestingly, people remember, no race radios in the women's or men's. So while Evanapol's going off and Lysenko's getting after him off that break, it just takes too long for those messages that, and and how accurate those messages are back to the peloton. Like, who is it off? Oh, it's Evanapol. Shit, we've got to go now. But they didn't seem to go now because they didn't maybe didn't know and didn't know who it was. And so it's a lot more raw and open. It's old school racing. Um, we actually spoke about that this morning, and one of our touring party made the observation, Dunny, that, and he'd read um, an article where Matthew said he didn't even know what he was springing for. He didn't know what position he could have been for the win, or he didn't know. Yeah, yeah so that was uh, um, interesting. And then finally, before we wrap it off, because we've got to get off this train, because we're going to do some more riding heroics, and no doubt there'll be people going, Jesus, those... Back-slapping galore. Back-slapping from the crowds and from ourselves. But finally, the bizarre case of the Matthew Vanderbilt couldn't get a goal, getting drawn into a skirmish. Did we just get a scoop from the... We just spoke to a couple of New South Wales police officers on the train. He obviously saw us and wanted an autograph. We said, not now, fellas, we've got riding to do. We asked them whether they'd heard anything and they were a bit dumbstruck by it and sort of thinking, sort of thinking, you know, it seems a bit excessive, a bit of push and shove. Um, the guys got arrested, but how poor is the security around him for a world championships? One of the favourites, one of the most well-known guys in world cycling. For him to be interrupted by some teenagers in his hallway, maybe they need to reassess this while he's trying to sleep. Perhaps they need to reassess their security um, in and around that. So a lesson for them, but gee whiz, what a trivial bloody... I mean, trivially in the sense that it, it wasn't a pub brawl. So, you know, who knows how... It would have been great to see Cullen get a goal muscling his way up that climb, but we, we won't get the chance. So um, it's probably only going to be when he eventually rides with us, Scotty, I'd say. Yeah, yeah bit sad, but... We've yet to find out the facts, so it'll be interesting. All right, people, we might come back a little bit later. We'll see.